Scripture reading this morning comes from Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. Paul writes, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who do such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who do such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render each according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. For all have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. But when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. May God bless the reading of His Word. Now, I wonder, uh, how many of you all think you are a good person? You know, if we were to, if I were to go around today and talk to your neighbors and your co-workers and say, you know, is such and such a good person? You know, they probably would say, yeah, yeah, they're pretty good for most of you, right? Most of us in here, I would say, would be, you know, qualified as good people, uh, according to most societies around the world, you know, if not, we'd probably be locked up in prison somewhere or doing something that's you know very blatantly wrong, and we'd probably get in trouble for that. But most of us uh, would probably say, you know, we're not perfect, but you know, we we try not to break the law and we try not to hurt people. Um, and you know, if pressed, we might even say, you know what, uh, there are definitely worse people than me, right? And according to, you know, what Paul said in Romans 1, 18 through 32 that we looked at last week, I mean, you know, some people are just very blatant with their sin. You know, he talks about how there are some people that, you know, they just blatantly shut God out of their lives and, and pursue whatever they want. You know, they create their own sexual ethic and just really do whatever they want. They, they uh, are proud of their greed. He even says, you know, these, these folks invent evil. Try, he's just trying to think about things to do that are just against God's design and His commands. And so, you know, you would look at those people, 
that are just so blatantly immoral. Even atheists and agnostics and even probably most societies around the world would say, yeah, that, those people uh, are immor- immoral. They are not right. That's not the way you should behave. And so we look at this passage today in Romans 2 and we wonder, okay, where is Paul going with his argument? You know, he began this argument in Romans 1 where he's trying to make this case for our need for the gospel. Why do we need the gospel? Why do we need Jesus? Well, first of all, he lists this uh, list of sins like we saw in Romans 1, 18 through 32. Just blatant disregard for God, uh, living life apart from God in a very blatant and uh, public way. And, and you think, okay, well, um, those people are definitely in the wrong. And yes, they, those people even uh, should be judged by God. Even You may even say that. But what about us? You know, what about those of us in the world that, you know, wouldn't basically come out and say, you know, I'm against God and I'm going to just do whatever I want. Maybe we're not quite that bold. But if we're not careful, we could fall into a dangerous mindset um, that is equally reckless. And it's this mindset that believes that we we are made right with God because we're good people. And so maybe we're not flaunting our sin, but there's another reckless mindset that we can have that is just as fatal, and that is we can think that we are right with God because we are good people. And so to combat this dangerous mindset, we have this argument continually being unpacked by Paul into chapter 2. And so to kind of help us see our status before God, he moves on to talk about the judgment of God and how God will judge us. Now, I wonder how many of you all like to take tests. I don't know if there are many of you. Some people may really like it, um, but I know from experience and being a parent that uh, tests are usually not look, usually don't look forward to those things. And we usually associate tests with school, right? Because you take a test over a subject and the teacher grades it. But, you know, there are other types of tests, too, uh, that people perform all around us. You know, you have blood tests and driver's tests and, you know, quality control tests and a fitness tests and on and on it goes. But the purpose of the test, whatever test it may be, is to reveal the quality of something. And so in school... When you have a test over, you know, Algebra 2, it is meant to reveal your understanding of that subject, the quality of your knowledge of that subject. So the purpose of the test is to reveal the quality of something. And when a test is given, there's usually someone who grades the test, right? And so that person that grades the test judges the quality of the work and then, you know, gives you a grade. Well, to help us avoid this, this reckless belief that, that we pass the test of God's judgment because we're pretty good people, Paul tells us, okay, this is how you will be judged. This is how God judges humanity. And there are basically two criteria that God will use when He judges every person. So when you die, so this, I'm just going to give you the heads up. This sermon is not going to be, you know, how to live your best life. This is going to be, okay... This is how it's going to be when we all stand before God and the reality of our human condition. Okay, so just get ready. 
But Paul says, okay, there are, there are two criteria God is going to use uh, when He judges you and He judges me and judges every person. So when you die and you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and the reason I say that is because God the Father has given authority to God the Son in the person of Jesus Christ to judge the world. And so when you die and the time comes for you to stand at the judgment seat of Christ, He will judge you based on two criteria. And we see that in these pa- this, the passage I just read this morning. The first criteria is that you will be judged by the knowledge that you had. And we see it in verses 1 through 3 where Paul says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man. Every one of you judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? So I'm going to talk about that in just a minute, how that shows us... uh, how God will judge us based on what we know. But then down in verse 12, he continues and he says, For all have sinned, for all who have sinned without the law, just pay attention to the phrase, the law there, and I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. For all, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day when, according to my gospel... God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So there are two categories of what Paul refers to as the law. And the first category is what we often think of when we hear that phrase, the law. He's referring to the Old Testament law. He's referring to uh, the revelation of God's direction for mankind. The Bible, so to speak. And so he says that those who have been exposed to the Bible will be judged by the contents of the Bible or God's revelation of Himself. And Paul will say more about this later in chapter 2. We'll get to that next week. But the second category that he uses here for the law is what C.S. Lewis called the law of nature. It's It's what Paul defines when he says that those without the Bible or God's revelation of Himself in His Word They do some of the same things that the Bible tells them to do, even though they've never read the Bible. Okay? In other words, every society, every community, every tribe around the world has some concept of morality. Some concept of right and wrong. And there are differences within those different communities. However, the differences are not so different. That we would say the basic foundation morality is different. There's enough commonality that we can say, you know what? In every culture around the world, there seems to be this 
this innate moral impulse that aligns us all together to a common morality. You know, for example, most cultures, if not all around the world, would say it's wrong to murder. Or it's wrong to take advantage of the weak, etc. So we have this common moral, innate moral impulse. But for the sake of argument, even if we didn't have that, Paul's argument would still stand because what he's saying is, if you do not have God's law, if you do not know, if you've never heard the Ten Commandments, you've never heard anything that God has spoken through His Word, you will be judged by the standard by which you live. Because every person has a concept of right and wrong. Every person has a moral standard they live by. And then Paul says, every person breaks their own standard. And Francis Schaeffer illustrated it this way. He said, just imagine when you were born, someone gave you a recording device that was kind of implanted on you. Okay? And all throughout your life, every time you told someone what they ought to do or what they should do, uh, how they should behave, every moral judgment you made was recorded. And then the day came where you stood before God. He would simply push play on that recording device and you would hear all the times you told other people what they should and should not do. And then He would judge you based on your standard. And the question is, when you stand before God and that happens, will you find yourself perfectly lining up with your own standard? Or will you find yourself guilty of breaking your own moral code? And Paul's argument is that, in fact, you will be found lacking Even though you told others this is what you should do, you should behave this way, you will be found that you've broken your own moral code before the Lord. Even if you never have heard of the Ten Commandments or if you've ever read the Bible at all. To use a, a biblical word, you would be found unrighteous. Which is the same conclusion Paul is going to later draw Uh, to those who are trying to live according to the Old Testament law. So the first criteria God will use to judge you is the knowledge that you have. Your concept of morality. okay, Your standard. Or God's standard if you're exposed to His Word. Second criteria God will use to judge is what you did with that knowledge. In other words... You will be judged according to your works. So based on verses 6 to 11, Paul says this in verses 6 to 11. It says, He will render to each according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. The Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. Now to understand Paul's argument here, you have to take it in context of his entire argument. Because Paul has begun this argument in Romans chapter 1 verse 18. And he's going to conclude this portion of his argument in Romans chapter 3 verse 20. So from Romans 1.18 to Romans 3.20, he's making one big argument. And his argument is why we need the gospel. 
And the whole point is that we are unrighteous. We cannot attain a righteousness of our own. We are found lacking. And we need that which Christ has provided for us. That's his whole argument. So in that context, you have to be careful when you come to verses like, for example, 7 and 9, that you don't miss the meaning of these verses. For example, in Romans 3.20, look how he ends his argument. He says this, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. (laughs) So Paul says, No one is going to stand before God righteous because of their own good works. Nobody. And so, therefore, you take this argument and then you look at verses 7 and verse 10 in Romans 2 and you say, okay, well, there are those who are seeking to do good and they will inherit eternal life. So what does he mean by that? And I would say, just like he says in other passages of Scripture, just like in, for example, Ephesians chapter 2, where he talks about how we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, not a, result of, not a result of our works that no one should boast, but that we are saved for good works that God has prepared beforehand. One person put it this way. Think about like an apple tree. You know, an apple tree, uh, if it has apples, the apples prove the tree has life, right? The apples prove life, but they don't provide life. They prove life, but they don't provide life. The apples are a test that the tree is alive, but its roots are what pull in the nourishment to the tree. And in the same way, faith in Christ alone provides this new life that God gives But a changed life of righteousness is what proves that we have real faith. And I believe that's what Paul is arguing here. Those who, back in chapter 1, who have been saved by faith in Christ, they will pursue immortality. They will pursue glory, the glory that God will give them on the last day. They will pursue honor and well-doing. But those who are not in Christ... Their pursuits will be, according to him, self-seeking. In other words, they are trying to, to gather a righteousness of their own. So those apart from Christ are those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth. In other words, they may be good people. Your neighbors may say you are a good person. They may seem like great people. But the problem is, we are unable to make ourselves right with God. In fact, in trying to make yourself right with God through your good works, you're actually sinning all the more. Because you are denying the very remedy that God has given through His Son, Jesus Christ. And you see it in verses 4 and 5. He says, or do you presume... On the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience. Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So we presume on the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience when we refuse to accept the pathway that He's given us 
to be made right with Him. And Paul's main thrust in chapter 1 was that this pathway is called the Gospel. It's what God has done through His Son, Jesus Christ. Because of what Christ has accomplished through His death and His resurrection, God's righteousness has been revealed and can be ours by faith. We can receive it by faith. So we can be declared right with God, righteous, because of what Christ has done for us. And we receive that by faith. It's not a righteousness, righteousness of our own that we work toward and earn, but it's something that is bestowed upon us because of what Christ has done. So we are declared righteous. This is Paul's whole argument, that you cannot achieve a rightness with God on your own. This is why you need the Gospel. This is why you need Christ. And through faith in Christ, you are declared righteous. Not because you're a good person, not because you obeyed the Ten Commandments, but because of what Christ has accomplished for you. That's why Paul says, it's the Gospel that's the power of God for salvation. Not the Ten Commandments, not law, but the Gospel, which is Christ came, died for our sin, raised on the third day, and sits at the right hand of the Father. And by placing our faith in what Christ has done, we are then declared righteous. So one day, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Because Christ will be the judge. And those who have faith in Him will receive eternal life. That's what the Bible says. And those not found in Christ would be judged on based on what they know or what they knew and what they did. And although there may be different degrees of their punishment, the verdict that they will all hear is guilty because there is no salvation in any name apart from Jesus. And so the question is, what do you do with this information? I mean, Paul is bringing this, this pretty heavy argument uh, upon our hearts and minds even this morning. So what do you do with it? Well, here's what I would encourage you to do with it. And I would settle this matter out of court. Right? Don't wait till you take the matter to the judge and try to bring your case to the judge. Don't do that because your case is extremely weak. And you will be declared guilty. So you need to settle this matter out of court before the judgment day comes. We know that God is patient, not willing that any should perish. And His patience is allowing us even to gather here this morning. But one day, His patience will end when Christ returns and then we stand before Jesus and give an account of our lives. So, what should you do with this? What I would, if I were you, and I had never placed my faith in Jesus Christ, I would do that right now. I wouldn't wait. I would do it right now. I would come to God in prayer and I would say, God, I confess that I'm a sinner. I have gone my own way. I, or maybe even I've tried to make, my, make myself right with you through good works. But I realize that it's only through faith in your Son that I can be made right with you. And therefore, I turn from the way I was living my life and I turn to Christ as my Lord and Savior. That's what I'd be praying right now. 
And I wonder, you know, why, why would we wait on something like this? So we know God is patient. But we know the day will come. The court date's coming. But we stand before God and we're going to have to give an account. And so the question will be, when you stand before Him on that day, I mean, do you want to bring to Him your works? <laughs> or do you want to bring to Him the works of Christ? I mean, I know which ones I want to bring. I don't want to bring my own. Because I know I am not able to achieve the righteousness of God apart from Christ. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be found trying to be my own Christ. But rather, I want to be found in Christ when I stand before Him on that day. And Paul's argument is that the only way that is possible is through faith. Faith in Jesus for your salvation. And then on that day when God judges through His Son, you will be given eternal life. Let us pray. Father, thank You for this Word this morning. For some, perhaps it's hard to hear. Others, it's a glorious truth. Because in this truth, there is rest. In this truth, there is acceptance. There is forgiveness. There is love. There is eternal life. And we are so thankful for all the blessings and benefits that, is, that are found in being in Christ. And I pray if there's anyone here today who is depending on their own effort to be made right with you, with, that they would turn from that. Leave it behind and cling to Christ for salvation. And Lord, help us as your people, those of us who are in Christ, be good stewards of the time you give us. And help us to pursue the good works that you have prepared beforehand for the foundation of the world. So that you would be glorified in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.